welcome to the Central Vineyard podcast. We're really pleased you've chosen to join us today. Our vision is to be a transformational church community, following Jesus, joining God in the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us in person if you're able to on a Sunday morning. If you would like more details, you can visit our website at centralvineyard.co.uk. Morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. Oh, we're not doing. We're not doing well, are we? How are we doing? Good. Good. So, as Pete said, I'm Dan. Nice to see you. I'm one of the pastors here. We're continuing our series this morning on the seven I am statements of Jesus in John's Gospel. Uh, we. This is number six of seven. Got one more week, um, and it's been really good. Do have a catch up. Have a look at our podcasts, our website, YouTube to catch up. I personally feel that that God has been really speaking to us as a church over the last few months, not only in this series, um, but a real realization of our dependence on him. We covered Psalm 23. We covered some Psalms over in the community Sundays in the summer. We've done um, a practice in the way of fasting, and there feels like a real sense of going deeper with God, that we need to have a devotion to him. We need to abide with him. He's the source of all we need. And, I, and I've felt this series has actually built on that personally. I feel that God has been speaking to us about how our devotion can be quite a battle. Our devotion to God has a battle with other devotions in the world. We've also been seeking to go deeper in prayer. As Pete said, we've launched a couple of regular prayer meetings this year. There's been a real sense in Upper Room, our, our monthly prayer and worship evening, that God wants to go deeper. So that's what I'd like to speak on this morning. Um, And and Alan, when he spoke, gave us a teaser of Ezekiel 34. I don't like teasers, so I had a look. look. And and I'd just like to spend a couple of moments understanding this ourselves. I think Martin also mentioned it in his talk. And I kind of feel that God's saying something here. Um, So let's look at it together. It's a prophecy to Israel about different shepherds in the world. There are shepherds that take advantage, but there is one true shepherd. So Ezekiel 34 from verse 7. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than from my flock, rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, 
I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. My flock lacks a shepherd. I will search for my sheep and look after them. I will rescue them from where they're scattered to. I will bring them to their land. I myself will attend to my sheep and have them lie down. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. We're in a world that is full of shepherds, but not all are good. And as I've been preparing this, and we've sung about it this morning, spiritual warfare and God's big plan have just kept coming back as I've been preparing this morning. We're going to be looking at John 14. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a popular quoted verse, and it's popular because it sums up God's plan, his big picture, his plan for his kingdom. So this morning we're going to, I've I've kind of broken the preacher's code. I've got two points, but they've got quite a few things within them. So first we're going to look at God's plan for his kingdom. We'll look at his big plan first, which we've kind of already touched on in that Ezekiel 34 passage. And then finally, the invitation to that kingdom. So God's plan for his kingdom. Pete Hughes, in his book, All Things New, summarizes God's big plan quite well. And it's going to hopefully come up on screen. In Genesis, it talks about the creation God has, his plan for the world, his plan for people. But then we we know the fall. We know what happened, which led us to decreation, led us to a sinful and broken world. But Jesus came. He paid the price that gives the power of recreation. So let's look at these three things in a bit more detail. Creation. It all started in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden. And it ends in Revelation 21 and 22 with a garden city. God's plan from the start was to be with his people. 
He created the world for his people, for humanity. His desire was to walk and talk with us. The Bible ends with a vision of God walking and talking with us, his people. But it's a city. It's a garden city because it's full of people. It was his plan from the beginning. As a family, we we love nature. We love animals. We've been watching Planet Earth 3. Anyone been watching? There's some um, astounding things. One of my favourites was in episode one, the archerfish. Anyone know what an archerfish is? It's awesome. Watch watch episode one. Got a picture. So the archerfish is in the water and it's able to spit water and hit hit an insect that's sitting on a leaf. And it hits the locust off the leaf, which falls into the pool, and then it's got its breakfast. How awesome is that? Come on, a bit more enthusiasm. (laughs) Not for the locust, okay. Let's not dwell on the locust. And we sat there and we were like, whoa. And it went on. There was some other things as, as well. That, And you kind of look at God's earth. You look at nature. Some amazing things. Mind-blowing things. We see God's beauty in the world. Beauty of the world itself. The world God created for us. But we also see brokenness. The the series do highlight the the rising waters, um, nets and and rubbish in the seas which are affecting our world. We do see the the world's vulnerability and brokenness. But we also see God's God's beauty in people. We're made in God's image and we're beautiful. But we also know we live in a broken world a sinful world, a a world that is degrading, a world that is broken, unjust, sinful, and corrupt. And that's where we get to decreation. Decreation is the distortion and the fall of the creation God designed for us. John Mark Homer, in his book, Live No Lies, helps us to understand a little bit of what decreation is. Deceptive ideas that play into disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Deceptive ideas that first come from the devil, from Satan himself. That's how the fall was initiated It was Satan that gave Adam and Eve a taste of what a world outside of God would look like, a world that they would rule and not God. We do live in a time of spiritual warfare where there is evil in the world, which dilutes, distorts and redefines what God designed creation to be. Livy and I are also reading through the the Chronicles of Narnia at the moment. Um, We're just in the first book, but we had a sneak peek by watching the the film of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis, the author, a follower of Jesus himself, gives us a picture of, of what spiritual warfare is like. 
in the parallel world of Narnia. It's a children's book, but actually it shows some truths about what goes on. The battle between the true king, Aslan, and the witch who self-professes her to be the queen of Narnia. There's a battle, and Aslan puts the children in charge of his army. That's not something the world would do. The world would choose to lead an army. And Aslan gives them hope. He gives them the tools they need for the battle. And he lays down his life for his people. On the other hand, we see the queen, who is self-professed queen. She thinks she's the ruler of the, of the country, of the land. But it's Aslan who is strong. He is humble. It's him that lays down his life. Whilst it looks like the queen rules, there is hope of the coming king of the triumphant Aslan. And there's that famous Aslan, Aslan, famous quote, Aslan is on the move. We're also in a battle. We're in the in-between. We're in this place of decreation, but we have hope of recreation here and now. John Mark Homer says, our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from the captivity of lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. So that plays into disordered desires, our sinful selves. The Bible sometimes refers to it as our flesh. We are sinful. We've messed up. We choose to go our own way choose our own path, go after things that just satisfy us for a moment. The false promises that we've been given from Satan that are, that are often accepted by us. We're naturally sinful, broken people. We choose our own way and not God's way. And we've fallen from the design God has mapped out at the beginning of time. And then finally that is normalized by a sinful society. We live in a broken world. We see how the the world full of people is broken at the moment. The conflicts in Israel and Palestine, Ukraine and Russia, news coming from all over our world of the brokenness of our world, the cruelty in our world, and sometimes the inhumanity of our world. We live in a a broken world that accepts a different way to Jesus and it's normalized. The the world offers things that satisfy ourselves selfishly, but they only satisfy for a short time. But Jesus is on the move. He's defeated death and brought life to his people. And it's his life, death and resurrection that is sufficient to defeat decreation. On that image, we can go up because of the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to recreation, to what God has designed. Decreation is defeated by Jesus' death 
and resurrection. And the way of Jesus is a way headed to recreation of healing, of forgiveness, of reconciliation with God, with what we call in the vineyard kingdom business, being part of his kingdom, spirit-filled people who sacrifice themselves for their neighbours, who pray day in, day out for their towns and their nations, who seek and pray for opportunities to show Jesus to those around them, to show compassion for those who need it, to see the breaking in of God's kingdom around us. Pete Hughes in that same book I quoted earlier says, the cross reminds us that having stood within the culture, we must then stand against the culture and the evil and injustice that we encounter there. Having made a stand, we finally offer the world a new culture, the culture of heaven. God is in the business of renewal, making the broken new again. Me, you, our world are all part of the victory as we pray for renewal, revival, and seeking to build his kingdom around us. Our vision as a church is a church is to be a transformational community following Jesus that joins God in the renewal of all things. It's part of our DNA as a church. We want to join our creator, our provider, our saviour in the renewal of all things, making all things good again. Good meaning the way that God had intended when he created the world. He made the world and it was good. He wants to renew things to that goodness in his design. Finally going to get to the, the passage of today. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And this is what it means. It's the way to recreation that Jesus offers. Jesus says, start with him. He points us to himself as the source of all he needs. If you're seeking answers this morning, don't go to ideologies, to experiences, or even morality. Go to a person. Go to Jesus, and he will show you the way. So, invitation to the kingdom. I've got to speed up a bit. So, what does this mean for us? And this is our passage for today. The words will come up, but I'll focus due to time on verse 6. But have a perusal about where it's coming from, which we will touch upon. Verse 6 says, Jesus answered. No, I'll start at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is showing the way. There's a lot of ways in our world. As I said, there's a lot of shepherds in our world. Lots of things to decide, to choose, to follow. But Jesus is claiming something super bold, that he 
is the only way to true recreation. We have a simple yet profoundly life-changing choice, whether we join God in the renewal of all things. His death and resurrection break the power of decreation and the way with him is recreation. There's no conditions, there's no pre-application, there's no qualifications needed. You can't buy your way in. The invitation can't be forced, but it's simply a hand held out by Jesus and it's your choice whether to take it, whether to say yes. Will you take it? Do you want to join him? There needs to be a recognition of our sinfulness, our brokenness, our choices to follow our own ways and what the world gives. The Bible talks about repentance, which is an active turning towards God, towards Jesus, and to say yes. And as the diagram shows, it's saying yes to follow Jesus, to recreation. It doesn't mean we're perfect. We're still broken, but the first step is saying yes to him. There's still decreation in our world. There's still brokenness. There's still sinfulness to sort and figure out. And that's God's work when we say yes. When we say yes, we're choosing to be part of the renewal of ourselves and the world around us. He is the way. He is the truth. When we accept Jesus and choose to follow him, there isn't strings attached. It's a free gift. But sometimes we need to know it in our hearts. We need to deal with some of the sin and brokenness. We are saved in him. But it doesn't mean that all of our brokenness goes away. If you've got your Bibles, if, if you're open around John 14, just maybe turn the page backwards to John, John 12, John 13. If we see the build-up to what Jesus is saying here, we see the triumphal entry in chapter 12. Jesus is entering Jerusalem as king. And then he predicts his death. But then we read later in chapter 12 that the Jews continue their unbelief. All of these things were going on, yet people still didn't believe. And then we read of our servant king. He washes the disciples' feet in chapter 13. So as his disciple, you'd be thinking, how can the Jews not believe this? They'd seen Jesus' miracles. They'd seen the breaking through of of Jesus' kingdom into the world. How can they not believe? But then we read that Jesus uh, predicts Judas' betrayal from verse 18 of chapter 13. And then from verse 31, he predicts Peter's denial. The disciples themselves didn't get it fully. If you put 
yourself in their shoes, you can see them almost saying, oh, the Jews didn't believe. How could they not believe? But yet they were hypocrites as well. One of them portrays Jesus. One of them denies Jesus. In verse 38 of John 13, um, sorry, verse 37, Peter asked Jesus, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus is, uh, Peter is saying he will follow Jesus wherever he goes. However, Peter's actions didn't always show it. He may have knew it, but did he know it in his heart, his soul, and his strength? In John 8, um, verse 32, it says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We had a couple of words uh, earlier about freedom. The truth will set you free. Do you know that this morning? As, as Christians, we can often be guilty of saying the right things. But do we really know the truth in our hearts? And we probably need to take this step by step with God. Understanding the truth of God in our lives, which means unlearning the lies of Satan and the world. Lies that are normalized in the world, that are really the brokenness in our lives. How can God speak truth into that brokenness in us? This is hard. We need to be vulnerable, exposing the areas that we need to commit to him to renew. We are made in God's image, but we know the effects of decreation, of sinfulness, of brokenness in our lives that need to be renewed. And God is in the business of renewal of us and praise him for that. We can know the truth, but we can still be captive to sin in our brokenness. Maybe they're, they're sins that we've committed. Maybe they're sins that have been committed on us. But God wants to deal with those things. Sometimes they're quick breakthroughs. Sometimes it takes a whole lifetime to see the breakthroughs happen. But do you know what? We trust him. Our devotion is for God and the things of God. And we pray and strive for him to break through. But we trust him however long it takes. We will worship and praise him anyway. And we know one day all of these things will be fulfilled. There'll be a, a new heaven and a new earth where he will have renewed everything back to a recreation, back to a design that he wanted from the start. And I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
Jesus had been telling his disciples about his impending death, and now he was claiming to be the source of all life. Jesus declared that he was going to lay down his life for his sheep. He spoke of his authority over life and death as being granted to him by the Father. In John 14, 19, he gave the promise, because I live, you also will live. The deliverance he was about to provide was not a political or social deliverance that the Jews were seeking, but a true deliverance from a life of bondage to sin and death into a life of freedom and eternity. The freedom we spoke of earlier and the words that were given earlier is about a freedom into a new life, a life that is supernatural, a life of miracles, of seeing God break through in us and the world around us. It's a life to be lived now. We do live in that tension of the kingdoms and the shepherds of this world and the kingdom of God. But we know God's truth. We know his promises. So let's stand as we seek to respond. We have run out of time, but I'd just like to spend a couple of minutes to intentionally respond to this this morning. I'd I'd love us to try and seek God's perspective. As we devote ourselves to him, we pray that our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our strength is renewed to his, his perspective. There is a brokenness and sin that we are often held captives by, and it can hold us back. For a lot of us, it does feel like a battle. If you want to say yes to Jesus this morning, now's your chance. And we'd love to pray with you. If you know Jesus this morning, but you feel that captivity of your brokenness, maybe something holding you back, from walking forward with Jesus, this is your chance to give it to him. And again, we'd love to pray with you if that's you this morning.